Hello, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. And now, let's join our hosts for today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Slingshot Group podcast. I'm Vance Martin, and uh, today we're going to be diving right into our interview because it's just so good. Today, we've got Carlos Whitaker on the podcast. Our own David Miller sits down with him and had an amazing conversation. If you're not familiar with Carlos, he was a worship pastor, uh, was on staff at North Point, and he's written several books, some pretty cool books, one called Moment Maker, another one called Spider Killer. That'll give you an idea of of Carlos right there, just those names of those moments. His wife says that he, what does he do for a living? Well, he's a hope dealer. And uh, that's that's definitely what Carlos does. He brings hope into every room he comes in. Today, we're talking about a pretty, uh, pretty heavy topic. Uh, that's mental health. And Carlos really helps normalize uh, what it means to, to, to struggle with mental health and talks about his struggle and walk with uh, dealing with anxiety and other issues. So this is a good one. I think it's going to be helpful and beneficial to you, uh, even if you're not dealing with those issues, to help understand them and, and their place in the church. Stick around after the interview. We're going to sit down, uh, myself, uh, David Miller, and Keith Robinson. We're going to unpack a little bit of what Carlos walks us through. So here we go. We're going to dive in right now uh, to the interview with Carlos Whitaker. Carlos, man, thanks so much for being with us today, uh, having this much-needed conversation around mental health in the church. Um, it, it's just an honor to start to talk to you today, man. Well, thanks for thanks for having me, and uh, I've been a fan of what you guys have done for a long time. I know a lot of people that work with you, and uh, I'm I'm just glad you guys are are started a podcast and are talking about this kind of stuff because I think it's important. Absolutely, absolutely, man. I, I want to dive right in. Um, yeah. You know, Carlos, you, you've spent uh, a lot of time in the local <clears throat> church. You've served in a variety of capacities over the years. And, and, and I'm interested from your perspective, uh, why does this topic of mental health have such a, a negative stigma in the church? Yeah. Why does it have such a negative stigma? Well, I, I think because um, there, there's, a, there's a generation that's still leading um, – there's a generation that's still leading the church that it, it just was never by no fault of theirs, but it, it was just never something that people would talk about. And if it was something that people would talk about, those people were labeled like insane. Right. And so, um, they, you know, I mean, I, I just would say like my dad's generation, like, like again, by no fault of his, but they just never talked about it. So why would the church talk about it? And, um, and so, you know, we, we can't cast blame all we can do is try to solve the problem now. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I was a kid, people called me like a, a, a worrier. Like I was a worrier, like a worrying kid. And I was kind of worried about things. And that was kind of the extent of it. Now, I, I will say that I, I do feel like maybe we have overdiagnosed people in, in yeah. where we're at right now. You know, right now, maybe a doctor would have taken like nine-year-old Carlos and said, diagnosed me with like generalized anxiety disorder. Whereas I'm not necessarily in agreement with that either. But what I am in agreement with is that we do need to be talking about this. Um, we need to be, uh, it needs to be at the, at the forefront of most of our conversations. Um, and again, looking back at the church, 
that, again, that I grew up in in the 80s and early 90s, um, it, um, oh, I'll, I'll add this, I'll add this too. Looking back at the church in the 80s and the 90s, I actually don't feel like we were as as stressed as we are now. So therefore, that's another reason why maybe they didn't talk about it because maybe as many people weren't struggling with anxiety and depression and mental health issues because I don't think that they had the weight of what we we have to weigh right now on our shoulders. And so that's another thing. Like, like, Mm. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's by chance that, um, that we suddenly are the most stressed out, um, generation ever. Um, we, we have chosen to stress ourselves out, you know, like, like it's, 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 it's been a choice. And, um, when I do talk to my mom and my dad about, you know, about this stuff, my mom will even say, you know, she didn't really ever struggle with anxiety until she was in her sixties. And, um, and so I, I'm just, I'm, I hear her say that and I think, huh, that's because when she's in her sixties, I'm in my early forties and my kids are in their teens. And it's, it's, it, this is a cultural thing that is happening. This, this is, this is not an adren- generational thing. This is not something that, um, that I feel like accidentally happened. I feel like we're, you know, we're, we're kind of placing this upon our own shoulders. And so again, I can, I can talk all day and give you all of my opinions on, on how this happened and why this happened. But the important thing to talk about is that it is happening. And right. like, what do we do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt that this generation and, and even just this, not even just a generation, but people that are living now are more stressed yeah. than ever before. And, and yet within the local church, we yeah. still won't um, wrap our arms around that topic. And I, yeah. and I'm so, I'm so curious what it is about the church today that that is causing us to still um, back away from a topic that it it just feels obvious to so many of us. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah. It feels like this is obviously <clears throat> happening. There's no doubt that people on your staff are hurting. That your pastor yeah. is struggling with identity. That there, there's no doubt that these things are happening. And yet, we as the church aren't running toward the pain. But we are yeah. kind of like watching the pain from a distance to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I think that you have done a, a really good job. That's why when we, were t- when we said we wanted to do a topic like this, you were the first name that came to mind for me of someone that I wanted yeah. to talk to. And in a way, not, not because you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to come at it from like a clinical, you know, sure. hey, all of my education has shown me that this is what's happening in the brain and this is what's yeah. happening. You know, that, that's not what made me think of you. What made me think of you is that you've done an incredible job of pulling the curtain back on this conversation yeah. through social media, through your book, through, I mean, so many things that you're personally doing. Um, in yeah. fact, you have talked about your personal struggle with depression yeah. I, I'm curious, talk to me a little bit about how that's been received and, and maybe some of the, um, some of the things that you're seeing and learning after you've really, again, pulled that curtain back. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, I had my very first, uh, panic attack slash depression kind of episode in my life, uh, 17 years ago. And it was, I was on stage leading worship at my local church. Wow. And so uh, maybe it was, it was 16 years ago. And nonetheless, um, at this point, like I had a panic attack in front of my entire church and I thought I was having a heart attack. Well, ended up going off stage and there was no hiding it right at this point. Mm-hmm. Like it was blatantly obvious. Well, Carlos just, I mean, t- I think to everyone in the church, like Carlos is losing his mind. And so, um, so there was no hiding it for me. So it was very public in my own local church. Um, 
And I thought, and I just started a blog and I just kind of started sharing things online. I, the, that first year was such a lonely year because nobody, no Christians I knew were not, I'm not even talking about the church. I'm just talking about Christians in general. Like we were way before the church even was, was even wanting to talk about this stuff. I'm just looking for one Christian that would say, yeah, I've struggled with that too. And I couldn't find Mm -hmm. anybody. And so I was like, there has to be people out there. So, and I immediately just started sharing about my journey and sharing about my medicine that I was taking and sharing about the counseling I was going to and sharing about all these things. And it was amazing. I'll I'll never forget the first time I blogged about it. I put up a little, again, I mean, just think how crazy this was. This was like 2004. And I put up a, a, an image of my prescription for Paxil on my blog. And dude, I thought I was going to get fired. Um, So I basically thought that I was going to get fired because I shared about my struggle. And and again, not not fired because the people on my staff were necessarily freaking out, which I'm sure they were, but because people I was leading were freaking out, right? Like, you're the worship pastor at our church. Like, you can't share your brokenness. And wow. um, and people, you know, and th- this was a, I mean, and these weren't like weird Christians. Like, this was just kind of in general. And so the more and more I shared about it, though, the more and more I started to see other um other Christians needed to hear this story. And the more I shared, the more people would like secretly, please don't let anybody know, email me, right? And wow. secretly, please don't let anybody know. And it became like this, like, uh, this little like silent, like hidden secret group of like people that struggled with this stuff. And I'm like, gosh, we can't be silent. So listen, I've been sharing about this stuff for again, 15 years. And, and it's, it hasn't been until the last five years or so that I think people have been brave enough to, um, uh, to, to kind of start declaring, that their their struggle with it and um and you know I I feel like the church to be honest with you I, I feel like the church has been now this is maybe just the churches I've been a part of but the church has been actually willing to talk about this lately like it, sure. like this is I, I would say that the kind of conservative evangelical church in America like it's like the last five years let's talk about it let's let's talk mm-hmm. about it um we'll talk about it but then I'm here at what it would it say September the twenty third two thousand nineteen. Well, what is talking about it actually done? Nothing, sure. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like we don't need to just talk about it. Like we actually have to take action. Um, and so yeah, the last the you know the really the last year I've been really 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 vocal about it. Um, and and vocal about you know that we we don't just need to like band aid this thing up as the church. Like we need to actually mm-hmm. like help people find total healing. So yes. yeah. Uh, I think that's huge. Even responding to something that you just said, like, I agree, it does feel like we as the church have been talking about it, but we've been talking about it from the perspective of other people struggle with this and that's okay. Yeah. What, What I haven't seen as much of is what you're doing where it's saying, I'm a leader in the church and I struggle with it. You know, rarely are you hearing from, um, you know, name that, you know, author, name that, you know, pastor that people know. Yeah. Very rarely are you hearing that person talking about their experience in, um, you know, marriage counseling or in, you know, uh, in in medications that they're taking or in, you know, fill in the blank. The the, the stigma is still there and it's okay for us to say, hey, you, other person that goes to my church, you should be thinking about this. Yep. But what feels like it needs to shift is that we need to look at ourselves and say, we, the leaders within the church, are not immune 
to this, yeah. this, this pervasive thing that's happening in culture and it's happening in our lives and we are, we are yeah. going to be affected by it. Yep. And, I, and, 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 and we're watching now as, as um, incredible and, and uh, leaders that have really made impact um, are, are, are starting to almost too late. Talk, Crumble, you know, yeah. And they're crumbling in front of our eyes. I mean, again, that's something that, I, that um, in, in our position at Slingshot Group, we come in oftentimes yeah. after some of those situations. And, yeah. it, and, and, and you can look at it and say, you know what? If we just would have had this conversation earlier, we probably yeah. could have avoided some of this. Yeah. And so, um, again, your audience is, is full of people that are um, you know, Christ followers that are on staff at churches and Christ followers that are not on staff at churches. Talk to that person that's on staff at a church for a minute. Yeah, yeah. What, I'm gonna, what, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. What were you going to ask? Well, what, what do we, <clears throat> you know, what does that person need to hear today in order to remove that internal stigma and, and yeah. be brave enough to have this conversation? So what I would say to, um, to the staff member that's struggling right now is, is, A, like you need to know that you're, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you need to know that that the American Mental Health Institute has has a stat, and this was this was actually a five year old stat. I, I'm assuming that it's only grown since then, but that one in every four Americans will have a diagnosable mental illness in their lifetime. Wow. So, like that one, is one, one in four. four. One wow. in four. So wow. if you've got if you've got a if you're on a staff of four people, right? I, I need you to know that if you ever add one more person to that staff, mm-hmm. like there's more than likely going to be somebody else just like you. If you're a staff of eight, if you're a staff of 12, like there are, you're not alone, but people may not be talking about it. So just, yeah. just know that, that you're not alone. Um, and, and then I would also say um, um, that, that you need to, you, you do need to be vulnerable um, and, and, and share this with, share this with, um, with, with I don't, if it's your pastor or somebody, um, mm-hmm. let them know because like health, mental health, like, it's, this isn't something that you have to be stuck with the rest of your life, whatever this illness is. Like I've struggled with anxiety and depression and, and I'll still have like bouts, but let me tell you, like I'm healed. Like I, I was, I was to the point where like, I couldn't leave my home for months. Like I was having panic attacks every day, multiple times a day. Like I was like, so, and this was for years, almost a decade of my life. I had spent just, and, and I finally got to this, got to the place where I, I found true and complete healing. So like, that's another thing I need to let you know is that this isn't something that you just have to kind of limp through this side of eternity until you get to, um, to heaven, right? Like, like we don't have to only live at 50% abundance. You can, even in your anxiety and depression, like you can still get to that 100% abundance that John 10, 10 talks about. Um, and so j- just know that, you know, when you look in scripture, I don't have my Bible here, but I think it may be two different Psalms, but there's like Psalm 49 between Psalm 49 and Psalm 51. David is the most bipolar human ever in existence, right? He is like yeah. Psalm 49. He's like gnashing his teeth. Like I'm so downcast. My spirit is a wreck. Lord, you've left me. You've abandoned me. And like, just literally like two Psalms later, he's like, praise be to God. Like you're incredible. And so like, yeah. I tell people all the time, look at guys like David, look at their struggle and just see how God used them. Like if God can use someone like that, why can't he use somebody like you? Um, so yeah, you know, just um, realize again, A, destroy the myth that, um, that you're alone and B, destroy the myth that this is something that you're stuck with forever because you're actually not. 
Um, and so just, just take some hope in that. No, I think that's really good. Um, <clears throat> t- talk for a minute about that concept of complete healing. Because on one hand, you're, you're saying um, it's still something that is a part of my life. It's still something that I, you know, I'm going to have bouts of from time to time. And, and, and yet I, am, you know, I have complete healing from, you know, from this. Um, yeah. Talk, talk about what, you know, unpack that more as far as what does that look like for you? Is it complete healing in the acceptance and management of? Is it complete healing that it goes away forever, never to, you know, rear its ugly head? You know, yeah. Someone to, to, to yeah. Well, I, I, around that. I, I think, <clears throat> I think it's going to depend, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm telling you complete healing in, in, I don't like it's gone. Now I'll mm-hmm. have seasons of stress. Everybody has seasons of stress and anxiety where anxiety comes in. But it, it, this is, this is so important that I, I think people need to get a hold of. <clears throat> I used to say things like I have anxiety mm-hmm. and I have depression and I mean, as much as, as, as much as that, that's the language that we end that we've learned to use, um, that's actually not true. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think we need to stop like claiming that anxiety and depression is, oh, is, is like inside of us. And, and what I tell people to say now when they're, when they're going through a season is exactly that. I don't have anxiety. I'm going through a season of anxiety. And when you say that, that means there's a beginning and that means there's an end. <clears throat> so when I say completely healed, I'm, I'm saying like radically, like, like it, like from one day to, to the next. Now it happened from one day to the next, but that didn't mean that all the work didn't happen for years before that to allow that, that miraculous thing to happen. But yes, it was like, it was like waking up every day, heart palpitations, dizzy, um, all the things for years to that. It, it's gone. They're gone. Like it's just, it's gone. And so when I, when I say complete healing, that's what I mean. Like it's gone. Like it's complete yeah. and total healing. So yes, there is, um, there is the hope for that. And, and I tell people all the time, because whenever I say that, whenever I say to tell people, well, don't say you have anxiety. Some people push back and they're like, well, my doctor, you know, has, right. has, has told me this and my uh, clinical psychologist has told me this. And um, so, so my, my, I guess my response always is, well, but why wouldn't you still pray and speak complete and total healing over your life? Like what, what damage is that going to do to you? None. Actually, what it's going to do is it's going to help you. And I think completely accelerate you in whatever atmosphere of depression and anxiety you're in. Um, and so, um, so, so yes, when I say complete healing, I'm, I'm saying that I have been completely healed. Like I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not on medicine anymore. I was on medicine for 13 years of my life. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm not on it anymore. And, and did complete healing happen completely in the natural? No, I believe that it, it happened in the natural and the supernatural. I'm a huge believer in both, um, both and right. Like, like not don't just rely on one or the other. Like when when I first started struggling with this, everyone was just in the supernatural for me. Just pray harder. Just believe harder. Just you know. Sure. And I'm like, I'm like, I needed the medicine to get me to get my mind to a space where it was balanced enough to be healthy enough to start making decisions that I could step into complete and total healing. Guess what? Mm. I needed the medicine in order to get to that complete and total healing. So I'm not saying medicine is bad, but what I'm saying is that the medicine, the counseling, the exercise, the diet, um, all those things that are really good for us, they cannot be our hope. They Mm. can only be our help. So do, do the help, do the help. Yes. Do it every single day. That's super helpful, but that can't be our hope. The hope, if our help is the natural, the hope has to be our supernatural. So, If, if we're doing everything here now, guess what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't just rely on this stuff. You actually, you have to rely 
on the supernatural as well. What, is, what does that mean? Well, now you've got to go find inner healing. You have to go find a Sozo prayer place or inner healing play, prayer, prayer place or find somebody that knows how to, how to walk you through that. And so I'll, I'll tell you that I did all of the things in the natural for many years, for a decade of my life, trying to, and I probably got 70% better. And I was almost ready to be like, you know what? I'm 70% better. I'm going to, I'm so proud of myself. I'm going to be 70% better until I get to heaven. Well, the truth is, is God didn't promise 70% better. He actually promised 100% better. So is the 100% better going to be like for some people when they get to heaven? Absolutely. But for some people, are they going to experience that here? Yeah. So why, why give up? Why stop praying to the supernatural? Why stop, you know, um, doing the things in the supernatural. So I, I, after all my therapy and medicine and exercise and diet and all the things, finally found a guy here in Nashville that does like, it's called Heart Sync. And it's 50% psychology, 50% Holy Spirit heart work. And that was where I found my, my that, was, that was the moment where it went from like dizziness, heart palpitations every single day after one session with Homeboy, like they went away. And I'm like, what? What I've been I've been spending ten years of my life, you know, just getting to seventy percent, and I finally got to one hundred percent. So again, a combination between the natural and the supernatural, I think, is how we're going to get there. Yeah, man, that's really good. I <clears throat> and I like that you you do talk about the combination, you know, because it yeah. does it does take both. It does, um, you know, I've been in uh, on church teams where again the whole concept is pray it out. That, you know, that's not supposed yep. to be in you, and and that's the end. And I've been in context where they say, um, this, "There's nothing spiritual about this. This is this is all about, um, you know, brain chemistry or situational or so yeah. you need to talk it out or take the medication." And 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 to talk to people that have really been able to say both. Yeah, you, you cannot you cannot remove one from this equation. Both yeah. are so necessary in order to truly move forward. And 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 again, even those. Like I think there are people listening that would that, that are listening right now that would think, man, I would love to get seventy percent better. Yeah, you know, yeah. I would I would love to, and yet we're still kind of in this place of like I'll figure it out myself. I can't tell yeah. anybody about it. I'd, <clears throat> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray real hard. We're gonna figure yeah. it out rather than being able to be again. It's that it's that vulnerability. It feels like when I'm talking to people, the vulnerability is that first step. Yep. Um, yep. There, there has to be this this moment of I admit that something's going on. Absolutely. No. And that, I, and, and, and that it's and that it's okay to not be okay. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I think when when that phrase um, was popular, I did, I latched onto that man. It is okay yeah. to not be okay, even in leadership. Yep. And so I guess um, you know, kind of as we as we wrap up our time together, Carlos, I'm 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 curious um, if there's any kind of last piece of advice. For that person that's listening right now, that um, that they would say, I I know I'm not okay. I just don't feel comfortable telling anybody yet. I'm on. Yeah. I'm on. I'm I'm their I'm their leader. They're they're still in that place where um, you know back in your story where it's like you know you're our worship leader. You can't say that. You know. I mean, they yeah. still have those voices in the back of their mind right now saying uh, you need to at least give us the illusion that you're <laughs> right. Yeah. What do we say? What would you say to that leader that's in that place of struggle right now? I would say that that there's a reason why Scripture says the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Right. That there's 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 power 
in the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, but also there's power in our testimony. And if we're not testifying, I mean, I finally got to, got to a church. I mean, I remember when I was a kid growing up, like when it was testimony night, I was like, oh my gosh, it was like the most miserable night ever, right? Like, it's like <laughs> people would get up there and like for, you know, and I didn't, I honestly Same didn't know Same person power. every time. Every way, every exactly. time. Exactly, you know? yep. But but we we do testimony nights at our church now, and mm. it is the most life giving thing. I mean, our, our awesome. pastors will say, "Listen, testimonies are way more powerful than a sermon will ever be." And here's the thing: if you're a leader and you're struggling with this, as much as, and you know, I, I actually push back a little bit on it's okay to not be okay, um, mm. and not not necessarily push back in a way maybe you're thinking, but yeah. But my, my old church used to say that all the time. That was like the tagline: "It's okay to not be okay," and I, I kind of was 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 like, yeah, of course, like it's okay to not be okay. Sure. But then I, I just want to add on, and this is the testimony part that church leaders can add on. It's okay to not be okay, but you don't have to stay that way. And mm-hmm. and that that that's that's like that's the testimony part, right? It's like yeah. the testimony part, the testimony part isn't I'm not okay. The testimony part is I'm not okay, but I'm actually not going to stay this way. And the, there's there's beauty in in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. There's beauty in the cross. And so what ends up happening is you share your struggle and then the people you lead get to see you walk through it and come yeah. out victorious on the other side. And there is, I'm telling you, there's no worship song you can write. There's no sermon you can preach that is going to spur people on to, to be able to conquer things in their lives than seeing you be authentic and actually get to the other side of it. And so, yes, awesome. let it, let people know that you're not okay, but then watch them as they watch you get to where you're not that way anymore. I love that. I love that. Carlos, I, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. Again, what an important conversation needs to happen more often. Yeah. Um, if people are, are wanting to you know, connect with you, whether it's on social or get a hold of you to do something in their church, like, like give us a little bit of you know, where, where do you exist online so that people can find you? Yeah, man. You know, I mostly exist on the internet. Uh, if people even know what the internet is anymore. Um, it, it, online, um, on Instagram. I mean, that's like, that's like where I live. And yeah. so if they follow me, L-O-S-W-H-I-T, Los Wits on Instagram, you can kind of get everything there. Yeah. I'm on Facebook. You know, if I want to talk to my mom or on Twitter, if I'm mad at somebody, but, but normally Instagram is where I like to live and kind of sling hope on a daily basis. I've got a website with a speaking kids schedule and you can, you can book me to speak and all that stuff. But, um, Instagram is kind of where I'm slinging hope every single day and um and talking about this kind of stuff letting people know that it that it's okay to talk about it um and and that there's hope you know well i appreciate you slinging the hope man i appreciate yeah, bro. it very much thanks bud yep Welcome back, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed that interview. I know that I did. Uh, I'm sitting here with two of my very good friends. I've got Keith Robinson. Keith, how you doing, man? Hey, man. Great to be back. It's good to see you today. Yeah, David, you sat down with Carlos for that awesome interview. When I'm thinking about it, the first thing that stands out to me is in the beginning, he said that one in four people, even in the church, deal with mental health. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, man, it it really was fun talking to him. Um, that one in four stat, I think, is a is a standout stat that we have to keep in mind. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about in that interview, this, this concept of, um, leaders are okay talking to others about the things that they're struggling with, but kind of keep it hidden what what we are struggling with. I can't deal Um, with that stuff at all. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, even as Carlos talked about his, you know, when he was talking, you know, sharing his story early on uh, that, that he was like totally sure he was going to get, going to get fired. And that stat of, you know, one in four struggle, um, or actually the, the stat is that one in four will be diagnosed. Right. Um, I think there's something for us as leaders to remember, uh, on two hands here on, or on two sides here. Um, you know, first that, uh, it could be us, right? So, so those those of you that are that are the people that are listening that are kind of like I'm so alone. I, I think that that stat helps us to remember, like, no, like we're we're not yeah. alone. There are there are so many people that have this same struggle that I do, um, and 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 it, it starts to normalize again. That's the point of this conversation. It starts to normalize that it's okay um, to have this struggle. That it doesn't yeah. discount you from from ministry. Um, or leadership of any kind. And I think that's important. I think that stat also, though, hits that that executive leader, that executive pastor, lead pastor, someone on the executive team who has a staff member who ha- has this struggle um, of being able to say, hey, that, that's actually not unique. It's not weird. It's, you know, they have come to tell you about this and shared this with you. And yet, one in four, yeah. you know, people on your staff, you one pretty in much four, guarantee somebody on your team is dealing yeah, that they're yeah. not the only one yeah, yeah yeah and there's something that's really that's really beautiful about that so that that was a, a huge takeaway for me talking to carlos yeah. Do, you, yeah. do you guys think that the the perception that i think of when i think about mental health there is this big taboo it's treated mm-hmm. almost like a sin issue yeah it's it's associated with a choice a wrong choice and so we're forced, especially in church leadership, to put on the face, the mask. And we, we've talked about yep. a lot of that in previous episodes, but it seems like dealing with that is almost like admitting a sin issue. Like I'm just thinking through so some true. of the churches I've worked with, if I was dealing with that, and thank the Lord, I've, I've never ha- dealt with a, I mean, I've dealt with stress certainly, but I've never had mental health. If I had to come to, one of my bosses and tell them it would be like me admitting a sin issue. And that's just wrong. That, that can't be the way yeah. we treat this. Yeah. And it's such a shame, you know, and I, I'm so grateful for Carlos and just having the conversation from the perspective of someone who's dealt with it. And, um, and is walking in um, what sounded like a, a great level of victory. And yet I think there's just this stigma attached to it. Um, and we've almost associated like mental health um, different than physical health. And if we yeah. could just look at this from a, a, a medical perspective for just a moment, n- while none of us are doctors, I think we could all agree that our brains are the most important organ in our bodies. <laughs> and that being said, our brains can get sick, just like our heart, just like our lungs, just like our livers. Um, and if we're going to recover from those conditions, it may be important to seek some medical help and medical attention along with this. And I'm so grateful that, that Carlos even went to that level and had that conversation, but you're so right, Vance. I remember being 25 years of age on staff at a church and uh, we were part of a network of other churches. And I was writing back after a pastor's event with my senior pastor and a couple other pastors on our staff. And we're in, you know, church van and we're driving back after a gathering. And one of our, our pastors on our staff started talking about another pastor who was at this gathering. 
and how he's depressed and he just got put on medication. Mm -hmm. And it was such a negative. And I just remember sitting there, you know, at 25 uh, and and thinking to myself, my gosh, if I ever struggled with this issue, there is no way on God's earth that I would talk to this group of people about it. Because one, I shouldn't know that this other pastor at 25, I shouldn't know that this guy's on uh, you know, on medication. And yet it became fodder for a conversation. And, and I wish that was like some, oh, this is, this is so rare. I believe that stuff happens all the time. And even if it's not happening, I still think it's a part of our a way of looking at this, that, that, that somehow, like you said, Vance, this is a sin issue instead of it being something that actually could be medical and, and might need, um, you know, the help of a therapist, a counselor, and, and even an MD. Well, just even think about the way yeah, we I, approach, you talk about a health issue and how accept, acceptable it is for pastors and church leaders not to take care of their bodies. You don't want to work out. You don't want to eat right. What That's that's okay and, and, and passable and put yourself in a place of unhealth. Mm-hmm. But something that is not a choice that you know, that happens uh, in a chemical imbalance or something that is, that is not, that is brought onto you. That's something that almost seems like it can't be dealt with. It's, it's wild. Yeah. It, it does feel like still anything that is viewed as weakness in leadership is a liability. And we've got to start moving away from that. And so that whether that is a, a physical ailment or whether that is a mental ailment of some, I mean, whatever that looks like, we've got to start, uh, again, normalizing and, 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 and realizing that um, leaders aren't perfect. What? Leaders are. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Leaders Except aren't you, perfect. David. You uh, are well, perfect. That's for sure not true. And, and there's something about us as leaders and people and leaders like Carlos that others look up to to be able to say I'm not perfect I've had struggles I continue to have struggles and and it's okay it doesn't cancel out my voice it doesn't yeah. cancel out my effectiveness and I think that's what's happening when you have um a a leader in ministry who is afraid to be vulnerable with their supervisor. Mind you, how weird is that? Their supervisor is typically right. their pastor and they're afraid to be vulnerable with their with their spiritual leader because it will put them in a category of ineffective or damaged yeah. goods or, you know, fill in the blank. Ministry. And I th- it it would disqualify and I think that's what's happening where, where so many leaders are handling this on their own because they're afraid of being disqualified. I agree, David, so much. There's one other thing that Carlos said that I think we should address. And I would love to hear you guys' perspective on this. He, he talked about his healing and, and he talked about a percentage of healing, getting 80% healed and 100% healed. He, like, he's 100% healed. So, so total healing and I wonder if there's probably somebody who is listening to this podcast that is dealing with some type of mental illness right now. They're struggling with mental health, an issue right now. And they're looking at that thought of total healing and maybe discouraged, maybe unpacking what that means and what that looks like. Carlos did unpack that a little bit, but I'd love to hear you guys' perspective on, is it possible to be totally healed 
from this and what does that mean? I know that when he and I were talking, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you probably heard in the interview, I asked a follow-up question around that because that caught me even a little off guard when he said it. I was kind of like, oh, like totally healed. Okay. And, and as he unpacked it, um, yep. because I had the same response, you know, Vance, I had the same of like, oh man, well, what about the people that are listening that aren't totally healed and have been struggling forever? And, you know, what does that look like? And I, and I, and so a couple of things that I appreciated and a couple of questions that I still have, you know, along, along those lines. And again, coming from a non-clinical, that's not my background. Um, the first thing that, that, that he said that, that started me to understand a little bit more was he started to talk about um, the work that had to be done. He yeah. has 10 years of work he had done to get to that 70%. 10 years of counseling and the medication and, and all of those things that had to go into him continuing to move forward. I liked that he made the distinction um, between uh, help and hope. Um, that that our help is in meds and therapy. So he's not throwing that stuff out. I mean, that's valuable and needed and and man, like so so the help that meds and therapy can bring to an individual in in the midst of this, but not to lose the hope yeah. of the supernatural. And it felt to me like he was not, it didn't feel to me like he was giving a guarantee of 100 percent healing in this life but he was giving the hope of 100% healing in this life. And, and basically saying, look, like, like you're going to do the work. All these things are happening. Um, don't let uh, mental illness or don't let depression or don't let anxiety, don't let these things be the definition of who you are. I am Allow depressed. this to be I something. Am. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, get get rid of and and I thought that language was interesting, you know, and that that would be counterintuitive for so many of us. Instead of saying I am depressed or I am this, to, to say I'm in a season of this, um, with the understanding that you are moving toward the other side of that season, and I I really appreciate the that distinction, whether or not the part that I'm struggling with is the the people that I've had in my life and that I have right now in my life that are that are continuing to struggle and they are in both they are in the help and the hope mm-hmm. and yet and it, it, it doesn't seem like this is going to be a thing that on the other side they're going to say I have complete deliverance from um, I will never struggle with it again uh, did they again is sh- does shame come back into it now did they do something wrong mm-hmm. because they weren't healed of, of, of this? Um, or are they still just in the journey? And what Carlos is encouraging is the hope of right. total, total healing. Yeah. And so I, I would love to hear from you guys again. I, I I'm still, I'm honestly still processing that. I don't have like a, Oh, boom, light bulb go off. I'm, I'm still processing, you know, the way that he worded that. And I love that for him. And yet I see that in the, through the lens of so many people listening, you know, how do you have that hope? in the midst of it. I think about the, you know, medication because I think there could be some in the church world that believe healing comes through a supernatural vein. And I just believe that if you're dealing with these things and there is medical help, whether it be prescription or therapy that brings healing, that healing comes from God. You know, yeah. that that is God using the wisdom of man 
to bring about healing. And I think that is totally okay. You know, like when Carlos posted the picture of his prescription on his blog and what a taboo thing that was, but that's the part of the process in his journey of God using that as a, as a help to the hope yes. that he already had. So I think that there, that is, we have the eternal hope that, yeah, we're going to be perfect and healed when we do meet Jesus. And yes, we will ultimately be healed. But right now it could be that we just have the help of yeah. prescription and And that therapy. healing is possible. And it is possible. And, you know, yes. The both, the both and, I just think is so valuable right. in this conversation. And so to have hope of healing, man, I think that's nothing but helpful along the way. I just don't want someone to hear it and think, oh, but maybe I'm not good enough to have experienced that. Keith, Keith yeah. do you, I mean, what do you think? Well, yeah, and as I listen to Carlos's story, the thing that, that stands out is the foundation of this was his decision to uh, talk about it. And uh, shame grows in silence and is, is, is really multiplied in silence. And, you know, Carlos's willingness to say, hey, I'm gonna come out of this shame hole and I'm gonna go public with what's going on. What a bold move. I wouldn't suggest that for most people because it could actually amplify some things um, if, if you're not careful. I think you need a safe place yeah. and, um, and you need to, to open up um, about what's going on and find that safe place to talk. Otherwise, the shame is just gonna continue to, to be multiplied in your life. And there's really no hope nor healing that can happen as long as you're silent about what's really going on. And so just to, to have the courage to be honest. And here's what I would say in that too, around these two questions. You know, vocational ministry, you guys know this, it carries with it a weight of responsibility unlike any other career. Yeah, and stress and pressure. Yeah, we face dilemmas for which there's no easy answers, problems for which none of us really have solutions at times, and challenges which we know our seminary degrees haven't prepared us for. And so because of that, I've had seasons where I've been appropriately challenged and felt incredibly rewarded from what I've done, but I've also witnessed firsthand just how stressful, frustrating, and difficult ministry can be. And so then if you add to that some mental health issues, it's actually going to make things worse. And so to, to learn how to cope with the negatives and endure the challenges that we're going to face in ministry, we really need to find that safe place so that we can evaluate what's going on and have an outside perspective. Because I think we lose that sometimes in what's happening. And all we see is, is what's staring in front of us, which looks like failure, which looks like defeat. I think calculating the impact of personal and professional um, stress and what we're dealing with, and then implementing a comprehensive plan at some level. And it seems like Carlos has really done this. I'm really intrigued by his story, um, but I, I just see this, this kind of theme in his story of, hey, I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to go get help. And I'm also willing to pursue spiritual pathways of healing in this process, which I just think is so important. It's not one or the other. It is truly both and. Well, that's a great thought. Keith, and uh, I think a good one to probably end our conversation on. What an incredible conversation. I'm glad that we're having this. Keith, thank you for your input. David, yours too. And thanks to Carlos for helping normalize the conversation. So just to leave it here, if you're dealing with some type of mental health issue, don't stay in the shadows, in the shame hole that Keith talked about. Go talk to somebody. Get the help you need. There is hope. Guys, thanks for joining us on the Slingshot Group podcast. Join us next time for another awesome conversation. Catch you guys later.
So now we've come to that part in our show where we take a moment to share a story from the front lines, from the trenches of ministry. I believe that stories are one of the unique ways in which the playing ground for all of us is completely leveled. And if you've been in ministry for any amount of time at all, you realize that things oftentimes don't go as planned. And that's where some of our best stories come from. And I promise you, as you listen, this is one of those stories that you actually have to hear to believe. Check it out. Today, joining me on this episode for this story time is my good friend, my colleague, my teammate, Kessid Berry. Kessid, it's so great to have you today. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me. Seriously, I'm pumped to be here. So glad that we finally got you on this episode to help us with our story time. And before we jump into that, I want to take just a moment for those of you that are listening and you may not know Kessid. Kessid, take a moment and just talk a little bit about what you do and how long you've been at Slingshot Group. Sure. So I've been on the team at Slingshot for about three and a half years, which I think you and I came on around the same time, Keith. That's right. Um, And so came in from more of a staffing background, like a church staffing background. I know we talk about being practitioners a lot at Slingshot Group. Uh, So I came in a little bit as the weirdo on the team. I'm like, where do we put her? Uh, Because I had staffed lots of roles in the church, um, at the church that I worked for, which is a large a multi-site church in the country, and really felt pretty comfortable in any lane. Uh, kind of picked, or I would say campus pastor picked me. Um, so I get to work primarily with the senior leadership lane, uh, doing search and coaching. But occasionally, with the right church partner, we'll drift into some of the other lanes. And uh, everyone jokes on my team that I'm a terrible driver because <laughs> I never <laughs> stay in my lane. So um, but it's been fun because I've I've been able to build some really great relationships with some long-term clients. And you really can help in so many different areas of church staffing because of your experience. And so you're such an asset to our team. So great to have you mm-hmm. on today. And I'm sure that you've got tons of stories. But as you think through even some of the stories where maybe it wasn't your best moment or our most shining moment in ministry... What comes to mind? Any stories that you can think of that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, so I was really trying to come up with something super clever because I know who my competition is out there on our team. We got some great storytellers. So I went and worked at a really big uh, multi-site church in the country and real excited to be there. People were asking me all the time, like, what's it like to work for your pastor? And, you know, what's he like? And, man, what do you say when you get to talk to him? And I somehow over my five years on staff there only collected really terrible, embarrassing (laughs) moments that I had with him. And you think when you have this brilliant leader, um, you, you have a list of questions in your back pocket, just Mm -hmm. in case you get that moment where you get to ask him a question or say something or give him feedback on his message or something. Well, I, I got to interact with him fairly frequently, uh, because I was working at the main, you know, the mothership. Um, but <laughs> the first time I met him, he, he walked into the office and many of you may be listening who are at really big churches and you've got these kind of celebrity pastors might relate to this a little bit, but you know, he pokes his head in there and he's like, do you know your name is misspelled? Cause my name's Kessid. It's Hebrew. It's weird. Whatever. Uh, I spell it a lot. My response to him was, did you know you're reading the wrong concordance? (laughs) (laughs) 
You sent that to him? <laughs> it was like amazing. Oh my God. In the moment, that's my first interaction with this man. Brilliant communicator, like awesome oh. leader. So admired. Um, yeah, you can't get the words back fast enough. No, no, no. And he just kind of walked away. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. And then I had my next moment. He would sometimes grab those of us in the office that were there uh, to, to listen to his practice message and um, give him feedback on the message. Well, he tells this story, um, and it's a little unbelievable. Like, it's very self-deprecating, which he told really good stories. Um, and he, he told it, and I turned to him, and I was like, that didn't really happen, did it? <laughs> like, you didn't actually do that, did right. you? Was that just a preacher story, or did it actually happen? <laughs> like, and he goes, yeah, I'm really that stupid. I was really that stupid at that age. And I basically, that was what I was asking and implying was like, that's pretty dumb. Yeah. You really did that. And so I tried to backpedal, of course. Sure. And then another time, this is probably the most embarrassing moment. Oh, one of them in my life. Uh, we had this fridge in our office and I knew I had put some stuff in the back of the fridge and then I had not eaten it yet. So I was waiting until Friday when no one's in the office because I was like, that's going to smell bad. Um, so I'll wait till nobody's here mm-hmm. and then I'll clean it out. So I was going to clean the fridge. So I get this container. I go in the kitchen, which is a common area, and I take the container of uh, probably three-week-old boiled eggs. Oh, gosh. Unshelled. <laughs> they yeah. were ready to eat when I put them in there. Uh, and put my hands in the trash can, open the container inside of the trash can so it would make the least amount of smell. Well, instantly, the whole kitchen smells yeah. like rotten eggs. It smells like something else. Yep. Uh, so I'm standing there, you know, no one's in the office, and I'm rinsing out my container. And not only did my pastor look like Superman, he was like very stealthy. Yeah. Because I looked over my shoulder, and there he is standing literally a foot away from me, giving me this look like he thinks I was just crop dusting the kitchen because <laughs> he didn't know what I had just actually done, which was clean out the, the fridge. You're like, no, it's eggs. I and swear. I was like, no. <laughs> it's three week old eggs that I left in the fridge. <laughs> it's boiled eggs. Amazing. You're not supposed to be here. No, nobody's here. Why are you here? Um, and he, again, I would love to hear, hear his stories about you. That's what I want to hear. But what? <laughs> I want to hear his stories about you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, he was the first person I told, other than my husband, um, that we were pregnant with our first child because mm. his wife um, had prayed for me because we had been struggling wow. with fertility. And the night after she prayed for me, we conceived. And so I had to tell him. Amazing. <laughs> like, you need to go tell her because here's what's really happening in our lives. And we're so happy. So I had, that's, we, we had some yeah. fun yeah. moments and happy moments and better times. Yeah, they weren't all embarrassing. You weren't calling your pastor <laughs> oh my gosh. all the time. Yes. <laughs> oh, I did nothing but stick my foot in my mouth. But somehow, it's amazing. I'm to come back if I ever want to. He told me so. <laughs> I didn't completely... Well, you know, it's actually a great reminder for all of us. At, at times, you know, we're going to step in it. At times, we're going to say things that we wish we could <laughs> take back, uh, have moments that we wish we could do over. 
but but in the end, you know, thank God that his mercy and grace follows us all the days of our yeah. life. And and for those of you out there who may be working for a celebrity pastor, like a really amazing leader, you have access to these people, just learn from me. Yeah. <laughs> and carry around a little card in your back pocket with great things to say, brilliant statements and great questions. Don't yes. do what I did. Please. Literally be prepared every day. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Kesset, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. It's, it's so awesome. And uh, hopefully we've all learned something today. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll have you back soon. Thanks again. <laughs> sure. Thanks, Keith. Well, it's kind of hard to believe, but this episode concludes our second season of the Slingshot Group podcast. We've had some compelling conversations with some of the most remarkable people this season. These people are doing fascinating work, important work, that is helping leaders just like you get better at what they do every day. So on behalf of David, Vance, and the whole crew here at Slingshot Group, I wanna say thank you. Thanks for going on this ride with us and for giving us your feedback along the way. And with that in mind, we'd love to hear from you about ways that we can continue to bring you great content that is relevant, not just for you, but for those that you lead as well. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to your podcast so that you don't miss any of our episodes. You can also keep up with us on our social media channels and at slingshotgroup.org. You can find so many great resources there and tools that will help you and your team increase collaboration and improve communication. We're also excited about the launch of our Improv Leadership video training resource that allows your team to develop these important competencies and skills at their own pace. Also be on the lookout for even more helpful tools and resources and events in 2020. Of course, we'll be taking some time between now and then to prepare for season three of the Slingshot Group podcast, which is scheduled to launch sometime in late February. We're planning some really cool things for this next season, and we can't wait to be back with you then to share them. Well, that's it for now. So until next time.